Once your emergency. Five, four, three, two, one. Welcome to the PIO Podcast, a place to discuss all public information related topics for police, fire, EMS, and local and federal government organizations. It was a good learning experience for a lot of us that, that social media is not real life. But we have to remember the media are very rarely a target audience. They're simply that conduit. Our words have impacts on individuals and it may not be positive. So just be just being thoughtful and mindful of the words that we speak. I think what's so interesting about this position too and this job and this profession is that um, every one of us is looking for purpose. And when we find it here, that's it to know is that a crisis for one is not necessarily a crisis for another. This episode is sponsored by the Social Media Strategy Summit, the leading provider of social media education. They host annual events designed specifically for government communications professionals like you to help you build and engage your communities through social media. Visit their website at socialmediastrategiesummit.com to learn more and use promo code PIOPODCAST for 10% off of your registration. On this episode of the PIO Podcast, we're being treated to some highlights of a few of the presentations made at the 2022 National Information Officers Association Annual Training Conference. Serving as our guide for these shows is former NIOA president, Ed Weiss. Sit back and enjoy. Uh, these are the facts. Um, Brian Laundrie killed Gabby Petito in Wyoming around August 27th. That's our, our best guess there so far. That's Northport, Florida PIO Josh Taylor on the missing persons case that captivated the nation and, in fact, much of the world. Before we hear part of the presentation, here's some background, some dates and locations that will provide some context. It was in August, September, and October of 2021 that coverage of the Gabby Petito disappearance was everywhere. The 22-year-old and her fiancé, Brian Laundrie, were traveling around the country in their van, posting about their trip on social media. It later came to light that in August, Gabby and Brian had an encounter with police in Moab, Utah, as they were traveling through that area. Responding officers pulled the van over and interviewed Gabby and Brian, and the officers' body cameras recorded interactions that were later broadcast in their entirety. The officers separated the couple for the night, then Petito and Laundrie went on their way together the following morning. September 1st, Laundrie returned alone in the couple's van to his parents' home in Northport, Florida, where he and Petito had lived before starting their trip. The home becomes the center of a media circus, and although no crime was committed in Northport, Public Information Officer Josh Taylor is inundated with media queries from around the world during a wide-ranging manhunt full of false leads and media hype. It was not until September 11th that Petito was reported missing by her family, who live in Suffolk County, New York. Her body was found September 19th in Grand Teton National Park. Laundry's body was found October 20th in a wooded area near Northport. You'll hear portions of a comprehensive presentation that Taylor gave at the NIOA conference in August of 2022. There's a lot Josh can't discuss because the case is still open. But as you'll hear, he offers a lot of insight for PIOs who could all of a sudden find ourselves in the crosshairs of a bizarre international incident. As always, the question is, what would you do? Her parents started reaching out, being worried about Gabby. 
around the uh, September 11th, the weekend of, making some phone calls. We quickly went out to that house uh, where they were last known, uh, or where we believe Brian might be. What people don't remember from this case is that they actually moved out of Northport two months prior to going on this trip. So, I mean, you know, their connection to Northport was even brief before that. Uh, They had not, uh, they lived in Northport for maybe a year or two. Uh, So not a whole lot of connections to our community uh, to begin with. We had never been to their home. Uh, prior to that. Um, and of course, the search party locates her on September 19th. She had been probably deceased for about two to three weeks at that time, um, if, if the 27th holds out to be true. Uh, so our officers found uh, Brian on October 20th. So it was a very long six weeks uh, for me. There was a lot of attention to this case for whatever reason. To give you an idea of kind of where you're sitting now compared to where Northport is. So there were probably some Brian Laundrie sightings right here at this hotel. So on 9-11, if you guys, for you who work in law enforcement, you get these calls all the time. Kids missing, could be, didn't get on the bus, could be a runaway. I mean, we've probably had 30 missing people cases since, since this one. I can remember... It was a Sunday. I got the phone call saying, hey, you know, there's something going on here. Um, Just stand by. So, um, but I've gotten that phone call hundreds of times. Quickly that night, the van was there. It was a van that was registered to both of them. They actually did not have to give us that van. We knew that he was in the house there that Saturday into Sunday morning. They would not talk to us. We just didn't know what we had, but... We were actually contacted initially by the FBI, so the FBI was very in this uh, from the beginning. Uh, So, you know, one of the things that was confusing about this, and I don't know what your state is or or where you're from, but it's just the laws are different when it comes to reporting people missing, uh, depending on where you're at. Florida law and our policy is that they need to be reported missing from where they were last seen. But, you know, I believe... Out in Utah and some of these other places, it's where they last lived. Well, she didn't even last live in Northport. She lived in uh, New York area. So there was a lot of confusion initially on where she should even be reported missing from. Ultimately, that was decided that it was in New York where she left from. You can see the huge area that we're working with. Uh, she was last seen in Utah, officially reported missing. Uh, by the Suffolk County Police Department, by her family out of the New York area. FBI contacted by Suffolk there because of the jurisdictional issues over state lines. And you could, I mean, just looking at, looking at that, it gives me stress because there's so many different angles. There's so many different uh, working parts. I mean, I know it's difficult when we just have an issue where we're working with our county. Um, and now we've got all of these different players in there and trying to figure out who's doing what. Initially... Brian Laundrie's family, uh, super uncooperative, and that continued on for days. Um, He was in the home when we initially went there. Uh, They allowed us to take that van, and uh, we had still no idea where Gabby was, if she was actually missing. We had no apparent crime in Northport. You know, they were very active on social media. There was certainly even the thought process of, you know, are they doing this for attention? Some of those things are going through your mind is, I mean, you don't 
always just go right to, oh my gosh, this guy killed her and he's in his house. So, you know, some of those are the thoughts that were kind of coming in. So some paper out of the UK broke this story and I don't know how, uh, but they did. And beginning quickly on that Monday, I had a small group of reporters, kind of a haphazard over-the-shoulder interviews, uh, which we did. And then just the the momentum just started picking up. Tuesday, we had a press conference. It went really well. I think I did a good job. And then Wednesday, they wanted more information. We didn't have more information. So we kind of did a non-update update, basically just read them the same thing. We all have distribution lists, I think, for our, for our agencies. I think one thing that was helpful for us is we, we started getting all of these influx of the networks and everyone else, so we began a separate email. We transitioned all the ones that we had from our locals into a new one, and then we're able to put this massive amount of emails. I think it was you know, over three or 400 by the time that we were we were done with the amount of new emails because every producer, blogger, podcaster, whatever, we just we said, okay, if you send an email into this address, we'll put you in there, and you get the updates like everybody else. Um, so that that worked. Uh, the Thursday press conference, uh, the FBI called us, I think, the day before or that morning, and said, hey, we'd like the family, uh, Gabby's family, to come and plead. Remember, we're still looking for her. Uh, they want. Uh, to get some attention. The family would arrive and speak. They wouldn't take any questions. Uh, the chief would give a statement. He would answer some of those questions. And this was actually the first day. I mean, we're four or five days into this officially. We're now taking over this case. But then funny enough, about two hours before the press conference, the FBI says, uh, you guys, are gonna, we're not going to speak. Okay. Um, cool. Uh, but what that, the, they're here, right? Yeah, okay. We'll be good. We'll be nice. Um, it's not just coffee in here. Uh, but what that did, right, was it put all the attention on us. Um, you know, we're different than the FBI. They don't have to. They don't have to answer. They don't, you know, they'll move on to the next Mar-a-Lago or whatever. Um, just... Throwing that out there. Uh, but they don't, they don't have to answer, right? But we, what do we have? We have mayors, council members, local yokels who are just coming out of the woodwork wanting to know what's going on. So uh, we felt the obligation that we had to not just say, hey, this is active and ongoing. We're not going to speak about it. So uh, we were very, very transparent throughout this. And it, and it helped in a lot of regards. I think it's helped in the long term. Uh, but in the short term, it brought in a tremendous amount of pressure. So one thing that we did in this that, that I thought was interesting is the, the media, you know, for the Thursday press conference, they really wanted to talk to the family, um, and they didn't want to talk. But they were comfortable with us. We had, they basically hung out at our police department all day. And uh, so I said, hey, why don't I do an interview with you? So that's kind of rare, right? So I went out. I did a 10-minute interview with, with Gabby's dad. We got to know each other a little bit, and I provided that uh, to the media. I'm not going to play that for you. Not having fun, okay? I'm just going to tell you that right now. There was a lot of stress. Um, we did every major interview. My glasses broke during this, so my sunglasses were all I had, and I started being called Josh Ray-Ban Taylor online. <laughs> I, that, was, 
That was actually some of the nicer comments, so um, I thought that I was cool with that uh, for a little while. Um, I still have a couple of reporters who call me call me that. Um, so here's kind of the, the the challenge that you always know. You come to these conferences, you learn stuff. You know that you're gonna. It could come. It could come at any moment, whether it be a hurricane or uh, an officer involved shooting. You you know that that moment can come. And, and I knew that you'd have to deal with local media and national media. But I learned a lot, that it is much, much bigger than that. Um, that there was just so many media markets that were involved. You had the Florida media market because her parents lived on the other coast. So I'm getting all of the people coming over from the other coast of Florida, and they're basically kind of the Miami media market. Um, then we've got the New York media market because that's where she was reported missing from. And then because of where they were out on the West Coast, you know, the phone calls did not stop. I mean, they're going until 3, 4 o'clock in the morning. And then the morning shows are starting, the Good Morning Americas, this and that. And they're all just, you know, they feel like they got a call, they got to ask. So it was just constant. There might have been a lull for me from about 2.30 to 3 in the morning. I mean, that was about the only time that my phone wasn't wasn't ringing. And then you had the international market because this UK paper broke this story. Uh, so then they're all on board. And then the online, uh, you know, just everything going on online. It, it's just, it's nuts, it's bonkers, you deal with it, but in this it was really, really bonkers. Yeah, this, this was another lesson for me, was that, you know, I'd get a call from CNN and they would be like, hey, can you do an interview? Okay, we do a quick interview. About an hour later, hey, this is CNN. Will you do an interview? I already gave you an interview. No, 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 no. That was Anderson Cooper. I'm with Don Lemon. And you're like, what? And they'd be like, yeah, we're all competing with each other here for new content. So I'd be getting three, four calls a day from different shows on CNN, three, four calls a day from Fox. And then their online folks are even different from them. So they would want content. And they're not worried about six, they're worried about now. They want the latest information right now, so they're even more relentless. So you kind of, and maybe I could have done a better job at being like, look, Fox or CNN or whoever, you get one, you know, we're going to give you one interview, you can use it for all your shows. But I just didn't know, I didn't have enough experience to kind of know what was going to keep happening over and over and over again. And I kept praying this damn thing would end. So... It just kept going on and on and on for six weeks. You know, I mean, there was so many pieces because, again, you've got all these different agencies, and then, you know, the FBI, they have all their different branches, so they've got the, the Denver and the Tampa office and this office and that office, and the, the tree of information was just, you didn't know where stuff was coming from or if you were getting it. In fact, we're going to run into some of that, that issue here in this. Before I worked for the police department in the city, I was a reporter for 13 years, recovering reporter. And uh, I've never seen anything like this before at a, at a scene where investigators are actually doing the work. Let's take a quick break. 
When it comes to influencer marketing, there's a podcast that covers it all that you will want to add to your playlist. The Influence Factor by the Influencer Marketing Factory. They talk about influencer marketing, social media, the creator economy, social commerce, and much, much more. They cover all aspects, including the creator economy, social commerce, the latest trends, the metaverse, TikTok trends, and that's just the beginning. The Influence Factor by the Influencer Marketing Factory. Add the podcast to your playlist right now. So then, of course, Gabby's found uh, September 19th, um, undeveloped camping area, northern Wyoming, Spread Creek, uh, likely died three to four weeks earlier, uh, cause of death later to be ter- determined to be strangulation. Um, of course, we don't have a crime. They, they have a crime. There's still never been a crime committed in the city of Northport. I mean, we've had to deal with, with all of this and the public outcry, and we've never even had a crime. I think probably the biggest lesson that I learned from myself is, you know, at the time, I was the communications manager for the entire city. When I initially started with Northport, I was housed in the police department. The city, we're one of the, like, fifth fastest growing cities in the country. We now have 80,000 residents. Like, five years ago, we had 60,000 residents. So we're, like, exploding. The Atlanta Braves now call Northport home for their spring training. Um, we just continue to grow, and at the time, I was the communications manager for all of it because the city had never had a PIO before I started there. But that team's grown. We have like five PIOs who handle city functions, but I'm the only one who does the police department. So I made some mistakes in not delegating out more responsibility from within my own team. Um, I kind of said, "Look, you guys handle everything else in the city, and I'm going to dig in. I'm going to." I'm going to do this, and it'll be just me. And it was probably too much. It really was. I would really say, you know, spread the wealth when it comes to, when it comes to these types of things. So I, made, I definitely made some mistakes there because they were still needing, even though they were doing just the city overall, there was a lot of this that bled over into those city functions. You know, that, that park that was closed, that impacts parks and rec. Uh, so those are some examples of some, some things that I did that I, I think I would be much you know, more cognizant of in the future. Um, but yeah, certainly all the help from uh, the PIOs that just reached out and were very supportive. But the problem is, is that you don't know what you don't know. I mean, looking back, you're like, oh, I probably should have done this or I should have done that. But I'm thinking this is ending tomorrow. I'm, I'm just waiting for the phone call that, oh, we, we found them. Or there was just so much wackiness. All of those things, those issues that I talked about, you just, you, you can never prepare for that. I just didn't know they were coming, really. So I think this was a big one, and, and this kind of goes along with my answer to your question, was is to take care of your local outlets. I think most of us who've probably done this for a while kind of understand that. We've probably been in a number of classes where it says to do that, but it absolutely works because when this is all over, they're going to be the ones left. Despite what, the, you know, the national, a lot of the national stuff was negative, but other than the, the Channel 8 streaming Twitter feed reader guy, um, it was mostly positive 
stuff. I mean, we actually got a lot of credit for everything that we did. There wasn't a single negative letter to the editor, which is amazing. Um, our local outlets were very happy because, because we were providing everybody the same thing. They didn't feel like they were getting left out. And I think that that really worked for us. And uh, we actually got a lot of support. There, there comes a point to where when the world's attacking, the local media actually goes, wait a minute, you guys aren't going to get all over us like all the time. We're going to push back. So they were actually started pushing back with some positive stuff. So that was, that was helpful. And the fact that we did not forget them through that, I mean, they're, they're the ones that I'm dealing with daily. They're the ones making public records. They're doing all that. So please you know, remember that. That's what I think. You got more questions? I, I have a question over here. So what is your theory on why this got so much attention? We have a million missing people, a million pretty girls that go missing all the time. Why the FBI got involved so early? I know you said it was a state thing, but I know our agency has had interstate missing people, and we haven't had the FBI jumping in on the first day. It, the whole thing just seemed weird. What is your theory on why this was so big? I think there's a lot that plays into this. Their, you know, their, their social media, they didn't have a lot of followers at the time, but there was videos and pictures. So they only had a few dozen followers when this kind of broke. But the fact that the media was able to dig in and cap, get all these, I mean, you know, there are cases sometimes where the one grainy photo you provide in a missing person case is the one they use over and over and over again. In this one, they had unlimited. You've got videos. You've got them frolicking on the beach. You have all of these uh, types of content for them to continue to use. I mean, there was just no, sh no shortage. Um, again, there was nothing going on uh, majorly in the world other than COVID. People were getting sick of COVID. They were sick of and tired of talking about COVID, but they were still at home. They were still uh, dealing with the effects of COVID. So a lot of time on people's hands. Um, certainly, certainly the looks had something uh, to do with it. You know, there were there was a, some backlash at one point of pushing back. You know that this was, you know, uh, you know a syndrome of you know how we the media reports on certain people based on how they look, and uh, I think that that is absolutely true. There was definitely some truth to that. Um, but again, I think it wasn't just that. I don't think you could put it just solely on, on, on how they looked. Uh, the geography of all those different locations and all those local ties from those TV markets that we mentioned, I think that really, that's what lit the fire. Um, and then everybody loves a good mystery. You know, there was a lot of, where is he? Where is she? What happened? And it just, it just built. It's just one of those things, I, I, you know. Just kept going. Um, my question is, is there a point that, or is there a moment in time that you can point to that your PIO spidey senses maybe started tingling that this was going to be a major mm. case and a major national story? And then maybe what were those signs? It, 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 honestly, it kind of came on like a cold, you know. It was, I, I remember getting the phone call. It was a Sunday, playing with the kids. Um, our deputy chief called and said, hey, you know, we've got this, missing person, possibly. We don't know what we've got, um, but it's a young lady. I've honestly probably gotten that call more than 100 times. Uh, similar, you know, usually these are solved, you know, super quick. Um, and then 
somehow on that like that Monday, it just you know you, you do it's like your typical where you might have it's not just one outlet calling. There was three or four that were you know just like they didn't even really know what they were working with either. Um, and then by Tuesday, it just it, you know it was exploded and. Uh, yeah, it's just one of those things. I mean, it can. You guys know. I mean, it can happen to any one of us at any moment. And just hold on. In our next episode, we'll continue the theme of what would you do. Louisiana PIO Brennan Mathern, another former NIOA president, shares a number of lessons that he learned from Hurricane Ida. You don't want to miss it. So we'll see you next time on the PIO podcast. Another huge thank you to the Social Media Strategies Summit for being a sponsor of the PIO Podcast. Join their First Responders Summit this April or their Government Summit this May. Learn more about confirmed speakers and programming at socialmediastrategiessummit.com and use promo code PIO Podcast for 10% off of your registration. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast to get notified of the latest episode. If you are listening on a platform that allows reviews, please give us a review. We appreciate any review, good or bad. It helps us improve on each episode. Until next time, be safe.